0: Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Startup Studios podcast with Raj and Seth, where we interview
1: people who build startups.
0: How are you doing, Raj?
1: I actually feel really rested and like that hasn't happened in like 39 years. So I'm I'm doing good, actually. I'm going to ride that train.
0: Uh oh. Well, that's usually a bad sign if something changes. (laughs) I hope I'm not jinxing (laughs) it. All good, man. I'm excited. It is. It's it's a beautiful day. It's an awesome uh, just time to be alive, and I'm just super excited to welcome our next guest, Donna Laughlin. Who, uh, what we're gonna, our viewers are gonna get to, get to know. But when I first met her back in San, downtown San Jose at the LMG PR offices with my buddy Rand, um, you were known very much so as the PRC devil of Silicon Valley. And this was about maybe 10, 11 years ago so I'm excited to you know really dig into that um, I remember uh, a little bit about your background from back when uh, you were uh, uh, one of our mentors and advisors for startups as well as on our board for PR um, so I'm I'm super excited That's
2: and You're already Wow
0: yeah it's uh, that I was a fun time you look
2: too. so good still
0: <laughs> no, <laughs> So do you Donna <laughs> uh, and I'm so grateful for you to take the time and and join us uh, on this episode.
2: Well, I, I think that you know the PRC double um I, it came across from a venture capitalist and I won't um give his his name. But you know, I guess I, I am, you know, I, I like to say I, you know, there's angel investors and there's angel accelerators. And um I'm I'm the you know the PRC double because of the, you know, I'm very strategic in, in what I do for my for my for my clients and the in the tech and innovation sector. But you do have to be you know a little devilish even though you're you know at the end of the day you're you're really the the angel in the in the works uh, and if I were a you know like a, a Charlie's angel, I would you know, <laughs> and, and you were uh, I you know, I think that it would still you know come down to you know what is the impact that I'm making and with my clients and the business that I'm in. You know, I, I strive, you know, that's the goal after 500, you know, plus startups is that you do have to be a little bit of a devil and a little bit of an angel, you know, kind of, kind of combined.
0: No, and and from back in the day, it was that energy and and a lot of the, um, you know, the, the the no shits kind of attitude and stuff that you brought to a lot of our portfolio as well, which was so valuable. And, and uh, considering we worked with a lot more early stage companies that with the Accelerator, um it was it was a really good exercise for them to go through as well because you know you're you're kind of going from the shy timid entrepreneur to now being like okay this is what we have to do and to have an advisor like you to to guide them along the way was super
1: um well well that's the thing though Seth a lot of us because and I don't know if you know my background um Donna but I I sometimes you can have empathy you can be understanding you can be the best But it's a competition and you're hired and you're going to win. So I think it's really interesting that, Seth, you framed it in a way that most people can't see and they'd be lucky to have a Donna. Most founders and entrepreneurs don't know when it's time to turn that switch. They actually don't want to. They're like, okay, uh, here comes a term sheet. No, like you're at the table for a reason. And a lot of people don't have that support. I wouldn't call it tough love. I mean, I don't know how Donna does it, but like you have to be like, hey, time to have some agency and some ownership and get this done. Like enough.
2: I call it tougher love because I have to be totally transparent and, t- and spend your and spend particularly early stage company like the money's in my pocket. Right. And and so that does mean that you're not necessarily, you know, want to hear what I have to say or the guidance, but you have to hear it. And I had that exact same conversation with a company that I just brought on board. Uh, sometimes I get I'm a retread. I get the uh, you know company to work with that uh, hired an agency or hired a consultant with the wrong time, with the wrong intentions and wrong direction. Sometimes, and I have to go in and and I hate to say it, be janitorial services and kind of you know clean things up. But it's really important to know at at every stage, you know, with a younger company and as you know from an accelerator, is the there is a, a right time and You know, to start spending money in certain areas. And I typically come in six months after. Uh, the product is developed. And so sometimes I come in when the, the literally it's a, a chalk you know chalkboard or whiteboard uh talk and the product is in you know is about to go into beta. Uh, so sometimes you know the opportunity starts several years before the product ships. Other times if the company is, you know, that it would be a very well-funded company. Um, other times it's it's maybe six months after the series A and they're going to announce or ship within six months to a year. So the stages in which I I enter varies um seldom is it a company that's had a product for more than five years um typically it's in the you know the earlier stage of the company and i think that's what myself and my team is known for lmgpr stands for leadership momentum and growth and so we we strive to work with uh, with our clients at the very early stage to establish their their presence their their voice their leadership um then the momentum phase, you know, comes once you get the product out, and as you start, you know, actually getting revenue, uh, and maybe you're, at that point you're in Series B to C. Um, then there's your exit strategy discussion? You know, are you is are you going to exit? Or are you going to be in acquisition? Um, sometimes we get calls for companies that say we only want to be in acquisition, in six months, help you sell. And we've done a few of those. I so mean, we've launched companies in ten days. We've actually sold companies in six months. So no two lines. <laughs> that,
0: that, that was a, an awesome intro for how this episode is going to play out. But before we get started, Donna, I'd love to introduce you to my co host and buddy Raj, who uh has his and own think. personality, which the I believe of you're going to I love today. it. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I'm quirky. I'm I'm a rounding Arab person. So uh, it's, a, it's a pleasure to meet you, Donna. Now, my background actually started in finance. So I started in the banking sector, uh, energy investment banking at Goldman down in Texas. I left after about 11 months because I knew what I wanted to do. I cobbled some money together, spent the next you know, 12, 13 years building out uh, a hedge fund. So peak was about a billion eight, 8 um, had an exit, turned into a health and wellness guy. So probably my second passion. But I think it's really interesting. You know, I had a brick and mortar that turned into a sash so kind of got into the tech, but I'm I'm not a tech person by design. So I think it's wildly um, appropriate and effective for me to listen to you because I don't have my brand. I don't have my story. I'm not a technical founder. I didn't go to Amazon. I didn't do this. I'm from Texas. Hello. Living in Seattle without a network. So, you know, we're actually at these it's stages. A great
2: title of- for a book. I'm from Texas, living in Seattle without a network, was that? A network? Yeah, or without a breakfast taco. That's <laughs> <laughs> actually pretty good. Man
1: because <laughs> a lot of people get it but but i think that's what's so interesting because now i'm I'm at a point where i'm realizing you know you're reading all the things and 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 you could be whatever and i know that's very general and whatnot but you know i was reading um they ask you answer and I, just one of those books that just seems so interesting that marketing and pr i mean you can sell the product 90 90 sales done before they even get to the product itself and I just, you know, when you really frame it like that, it 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 just changes the whole game for me. It does. So I'm super excited to just kind of dive in and, and see where we can get some wisdom. wisdom. So We're when you're, getting you're getting
2: a lot of- probably playing Monopoly, right? Sorry. Being a finance person. You play games like Monopoly and
3: finance yeah. type games. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's was- a story. <laughs> <laughs> I, a I actually of- let.
0: Let's dive right into Donna, your, your story. So, I mean, to get us started, who is Donna Laughlin?
2: Yeah. Well, you know, I, I grew up in Silicon Valley before it was called Silicon Valley before it was tagged that because it wasn't really tagged that until, you know, in, in the seventies, early eighties, um, grew up, you know, in the majestic foothills of the, of the Valley, the East Valley, look, you know, apricots and cherries and, and, uh, my sisters all cut cots. And by the time I was old enough to do that, that segment was gone. And you know, you hung out at the mall and you played, um, you know, did G- Gen G- X things. You you played with the video arcade and, and uh, went to Farrell's Ice Cream Parlor and, you know, things like that. Uh, but I was always, you know, very curious uh, and precocious, I guess you'd say. I My father and his brothers own a printing publishing company and so after school when i was a little girl i'm not talking you know before junior high i would go every day after school to the print shop and printing business and i was literally in the back of the shop and so some of my favorite you know memories are the smell of ink and that uh the, you know, the pagination of, of, of glue on paper. I mean, so the family owned 40, uh, 40 uh, newspapers. So you think of the community papers like the Palo Alto Times and the uh, Las Gatas and, and Los Altos Las Cryer and all those types of papers up and down the San Francisco Bay Area, parts of the East Bay. And a little bit up in Napa and Sonoma, so I had the I was I had the opportunity to be exposed to the graphic side of the business, but also the editorial side of the business. So I was, uh, you know, constantly, you know, it was my preschool. I remember learning to spell using type from you know, like you do printers type, uh, painting and drawing by using opaquing and things that you use in graphics, and then on the on the editorial side. I would follow my uncle behind and other people and on their on their news story. So they would go out in the field and they would do stories and I would go with them. It, it would be sometimes it would be a, an actual I remember going to um, FMC, you know, very food machinery corporate, very large defense company in the valley that was, you know, pretty instrumental HP as a little girl uh, when it was still you know, it was a publicly traded company, but it was still, you know, wasn't the the magnitude of, you know, which it was by the time I was out of college. And I would follow, and uh, by the time I was eight, I had the courage to speak up and want to do the interviews myself. I had a small problem. I had a really bad lisp, and I had, I, had, I couldn't pronounce certain letters, THs and CHs, and certain combinations of letters were extremely hard for me. But when I put on my little reporting hat and I actually became a reporter and not the kid, and I'm talking like between eight and like 13 years of age, I had a magical power. I actually was able to overcome a little bit of acting, right? So I took a lot of speech therapy, a lot of um, acting classes and different things that just to build the confidence. And so by the time I got to high school, I didn't lack any confidence. I was uh, editor in chief of the high school paper Uh, two years in a row. I was class president two years in a row, junior and senior year. I kind of had the keys to the kingdom. (laughs) At least I thought I did, right? So when you're at that age, you think you know everything. You don't. I didn't know anything. And then I went off to school and I studied journalism formally. And I went to Columbia University. I was there for a year. It was extremely challenging for me. Not the academics uh, and and not living in Manhattan because I love living in the city, but Socially, um, expense-wise, it was very challenging. Coming from California, which is a little more laid back, um, it's a little more—I'm uh, going to say—free-spirited. And when someone says "Here's your daddy," <laughs> in New York City, typically it means you're—you know—you you literally it's like my dad owns a publishing company. Well, they took that as, oh, it must be Simon and Schulster or it must be you know some major publishing house. And so that was challenging for me. So I came back to the West Coast and I finished at UC Berkeley. Um, Simultaneously, I actually got a degree at San Jose State, too. So I am a San Jose State as well as UC Berkeley undergraduate. Don't ask me how I did any of that. And then I went out into the world and did my news reporting job. So that was kind of, you know, I had my career started pretty young. (laughs) Yeah, I must mean, say, though, no, I didn't get paid either. So child <laughs> labor, you know, there was. I didn't get paid. I got paid in, and uh, you know, I guess accessibility, and you know, and, and and it was it was great to be in a family business. Man,
1: super cool. I think it's just so interesting because you've been swimming in words literally your whole life.
2: Yeah, yeah. So. I've been, uh, I know. <laughs> I, don't know I mean, like you, like if,
1: if the pagination and the smell of ink is like, I remember like pooping in my diaper. like, nah, 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 <laughs> nah, nah, nah. Watch this silk screening. Watch this silk screening. I'm like, good lord. That's cool.
2: Right. But I also like to smell of lavender and chamomile and, and vanilla too, so, and cinnamon. So that's good. Kind of <laughs> knocks it off. You don't smell ink anymore. And and so to go through the, all of that and then get it into college and the digital boom is beginning to, you know, the frontier I remember my father saying he was going to sell the business because he saw that the computers were going to replace the family business. And now he's getting close to retirement. And I remember, you know, when I was in when I was in college and I did an internship, I ripped out of the Wall Street Journal an article about a small little company that just delivered its first affordable computers to market. And that was Apple. But I ripped it out and I took it into the managing editor at the Wall at the Washington Post. I'm an intern. I'm not an, you know, I'm not a full-time staff. And here I am, no joke, in my in my hand-me-down navy blue suit and you know, accessorized to the nines. I was the, one of the only females that was actually in the editorial team. Most very male-dominated industry. The women were in the administrative pool. Well, I typed 150 words a minute. So I typed myself right out of there. I said, I'm out of there. Thank goodness my my mother told me to take typing. Type myself out of there. We're still using typewriters. And this is like the early 80s. And I'm like, this is nuts. I walked in and I said, we need one of these computers. I can learn how to to operate and do this computer fearless. They're quite expensive though, compared to the prices that we have today, right? So I convinced him, and three weeks later, big box came. Literally, it was like uh, the Christmas story when the major prize comes, and it's a lamp, Blake lamp. Everybody stood around in the newsroom, and this box came, the big reveal. Talk about an unboxing, right? The unboxing of this, this Apple Lisa. I get to, you know, be the, the queen of the Apple Lisa. It didn't do much in retrospect. <laughs> <laughs> Like Pong was, you know, to, uh, but what I could do
3: is, is to write stories,
2: share, and I could actually edit quicker than I could print out. It was the first time that I remember seeing getting, making the connection. It's no longer just a, a I mean, it could have been very heavy t- paperweight, right? but it was actually, we were automating the newsroom. Three years later, the entire newsroom was automated, right? There was no such thing as Bloomberg terminals until you know we had to go through that whole phase. So I find that was really fascinating how quick, and it's the same way the, the time we went from vinyl to, to CDs in that same period, right? And I remember fighting that battle because I love vinyl and I have a big vinyl collection. I mean, where, like, don't take my vinyl away. And so the record industry was changing. The motion picture industry was changing. We still had Blockbuster, but we didn't have Netflix, but that was next, right? And so if we look at the acceleration of how quickly things started to change and our behaviors had to adapt to all these changes as well. So there was a lot going on in, you know, in my college era.
3: And so, when
0: when were, were all these technologies being introduced, like during college, or were you exposed to them right after?
2: Uh, we were stuck using, yeah, <laughs> you know, the blue books for essays. Um, there was no Google. We had Texas Instruments. Um, no, we we weren't on the internet yet. I mean, the internet the internet revolution didn't start until the '90s, and so you know, we're talking '80s here. So by the time I got out of, out of college and I took a professional editorial position, I was with Reuters, Reuters International, which is now Thompson Reuters. And that was my military duty, what I call my military, military service, is I had to be ready to go, an assignment anywhere from six days, six weeks, six months. And so that took me all around the world. In seven years, I did uh, 42 countries and... And then somehow I added in another 25 or 30 on my own as if I'd go on assignment for a length of time, then I had time to travel. But what that experience gave me was discipline, 15-minute deadlines, I would do as a field reporter. And so I would carry my microphone, my little cassette tape, keep in mind, we don't have the smartphones that we have today, so... It was advanced considering at the time it was advanced micro, you know, mini microphones, right? And uh, my notebook. And eventually I had a flip phone. My first phone I had was like bigger than a shoebox, right? And then a flip phone and then mobile service because, you know, we didn't have all the cellular plans and things that we have. So it was interesting to write about, I was business and economics reporter and naturally some of that became innovation and technology. And then I went. Uh, I worked in New York, Chicago, and London. And then when I was in London, I had the opportunity to work for the BBC. And of course, because I'm American, they said BBC America. You're gonna be the you're gonna be the Yank reporting on stuff, you know. Uh, reversal, yeah. So that was like my first ten years of, of 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 my of my you know professional career. And the great thing about it is I got paid to travel, interview and talk to some of the brightest and smartest you know people and and to be able to be part of this this whole generational change that was happening as well in terms of innovation and technology and communications.
1: Wow no, and, that Donna, is- and real quick did, did Reuters still have a financial lien back then or not I mean has it? like when did you who? were Reuters
2: have a financial lien?
1: Like, do they still kind of like, cause I know I, you know, I was a a trader, so I did a lot of Reuters and on the finance side. So like not financial times, or blueberry, a lot of finance, but was, was it the same kind of perspective back when you were working with them? Or is it still kind of run like all the news across kind of the, across everything? I really Um, just go for them on the finance side. I just don't know if they've shifted at all for now that they saw the tech, now that they saw the innovation, they're like, Hey, listen, this is the next thing.
2: Yeah. No, typically, uh, you know, there, you have these little borough offices, like little, little studios, right? Right. And I was in, you know, I was really fortunate. I never worked like small metros. I went for the major market, the major okay. the major markets. I got, I don't know what door, sliding door, grease cookie sheet or whatever, but I fought hard and I interviewed really hard to get in places. And when I, you know, you have to move around a lot particularly broadcast journalism and communicators they start in like fresno california and then you know that if you're lucky if you do your chops and you can get to sacramento And if you get to sacramento well you you're gonna make it big you're gonna get to chicago or new york it it you have to move around a lot Um, uh, with written reporting and communications you have to do a fair amount of that but it, it's not it's not i think there's there, there's more um uh, At least there was (laughs) not as many now, but there was more written journalists that I could kind of pick after five years where I wanted to go and say, you know, I want to go. I I did my stint in Chicago, which is a great place to be. And then I went went to New York. I did that. Well, now, where do I want to go? London actually was the gateway for international. So there I was. Anderson Cooper, I could see him, you know, 50 yards away. I look on the other side and I would see another major network. Um, and so that was, you know, I, I always strive in my career to feel like I'm on the verge of excellence. I'm pushing myself. And I think this is kind of the entrepreneurial spirit and why I connect with entrepreneurs. If every day I wake up after I do my manifestations and all that stuff that I like to do, I don't drink coffee, so I percolate a little slowly, but I always feel that something is about to happen. And, and that element of, of, like, unexpected, you know, I, something's going to happen. Something major is going to happen today. And and as a news reporter, that's constantly that discovery and what you look for is you look for the unobvious. Anybody can see the obvious, but you have to look at, you know, it's like listening to music. There's there's reason there's different genres of music. I used to tell my kids, I don't care. If you don't want to read, you need to find a subject matter that you like to read. My son wasn't interested in reading for the longest time, but then he discovered pirates. And it's like the whole world of pirates opened up. you know, he was like six years old. And all of a sudden, pirates. What do you learn about with pirates? Well, you're going to learn a lot of history. You can actually learn. He got interested in math because of the pirates, like how big were their flags and how big was the ship and the mast and stuff. And so that's the same thing with I find with innovation and technology is we have to look back in time and we have to rediscover things. And so, Raj, when you mentioned the... Um, you know, I said, well, you're probably good at monopoly and finance. To me, that's just kind of a given that that you beat me out of monopoly because so I, I, I'm not so great at math. But I ended up becoming really good at math because I wanted to fly an airplane. And I was 12 years old flying with my father. And I said, I want to fly. And my father literally said, you're a plane, which is a common term. I had to learn math in order to fly a plane.
0: Oh, Donna, you went mute.
2: And then I had something that I actually could apply it to, right? And so I think that's really important in innovation and tech is that I'm not a, I don't have a degree in engineering or science or any of the STEM specific skills. I wish that I did because it would sometimes make things uh, less complex, but then I realized I had a... A superpower, which was asking the right questions to break it down to a non-technical person so that then I can bring it to market. And I've learned a lot over the years by working with amazing bright-minded people. And in the science and innovation and tech and all the things that sometimes are in my head, I'm gonna go, oh, I know about that, I know about that, I know about I've been working on artificial intelligence, robotics autonomous and you know cybersecurity and stuff for you know more than 25 years now and so and those industries have changed so rapidly but i do think in my, at least my generation we weren't as encouraged at least girls were not as encouraged to take the hard stuff and i made the hard math and the hard you know science and tech. i took them but i wasn't encouraged to take them I took them because, because I always like to be challenged. And I think if I had been encouraged more, I might have ended up, you know, taking a more technical degree. But when I was at UC Berkeley, I remember walking through the School of Engineering on purpose. And my friends would say, Why are you walking through the School of Engineering? I said, Because this is the future. This is gonna be this is like Steve Jobs and all these, you know, they know the the, the two Steve's and these different companies. This is a future. This is where all the nerds hang out. Uh, the DNA is gonna fall off on us and we're gonna be able to just be smarter. Mm-hmm. without saying same for instance, they don't laugh at me anymore.
1: Seth, <laughs> <laughs> uh, like I, I wanted to like like interject like five times, but Donna, no you great. would just drop in so much knowledge. Two things that I, I'm I'm actually gonna take it back a little bit because we talk a lot about well, follow the thread. You said something that was really interesting. You said, i i always felt and i don't i think i might have missed the context i was projecting something in my brain you were like i always felt like there was something about to happen were you saying about like in your life or are you saying in news you have to be like that to be a good journalist i thought you were saying like for donna you always had this sense of like man oh. something so i love you i have to ask because this sounds like bullshit <laughs> they were about to happen because you made them happen i i have to i want to call a spade a spade here it's like okay all of a sudden there's computers because you walked, you walked in there, kicked the door in, and said, "Hey, I want to do this." That's why that next thing happened.
2: That was really bold cool of me, wasn't it? <laughs> I mean,
1: come on, you made it happen. That's why Donna is programmed to think something with Pavlov that something's going to happen because Donna always does that ish, and I love it. And the only reason I to say that because we all fight this imposter syndrome as founders and entrepreneurs, and and it was so articulate right there. I'm like, you're like, how am I at this table? You're at the table because you worked your ass off to get to that table. So, like, I, I think it's really cool, even with such success. Like, still with a humble, but like, that shoe was going to drop because you were you were doing it. It wasn't coincidental. You know what I mean? Yeah.
2: Well, thank you for that. You know, I'm five one and three quarters, and with that goes <laughs> with that goes. You have to have really tall ideas, right? And I think that was the, one of the other things is is that I I knew. When you you go in and you know like the resumes, I never think really tell the full story, right? And I remember filling you know my resume and going in for for internships, but I had ten years of experience and I'm you know eighteen years of age, and they're like, well, why did you get so much experience? Well, because I started when I was eight. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> but that's and again that kind of leads to the second point because I also heard you saying. And I think this is a stigma that, I mean, I 100% know I had mom, dad, sister, brother, all physicians that went to medical school. And I was, and I did, I stopped, you know, but then I was like, so I don't have that medical degree. I don't have that STEM, but you said something like, maybe I should have gotten it. I think about that too, but let's be realistic here. Who's going to go to market? Who's going to sell? Is it the devs and the engineers who are like, okay, this is the feature that we're going to push. Or is it the person being like, great, I'm I'm glad you made the feature. Who's going to buy it? Yeah. So it's, it's so interesting. Like, um, and I, I talked already about the, the, you ask you, you know, uh, they ask you answer like 90% of sales are even before they come to the product itself. So it's like, man, half a problem identified as half a problem solved. Like I'd rather talk to you for 99 yards of the football field. And then, Hey, dev engineer, you get one yard, shut the fuck up. And like, let's <laughs> do it the right way. So I think like, mm-hmm. it's so funny. Like everyone's like, he has a PhD in potatoes, and I was like, "Okay, who cares? Who's going to sell the potato to the potato person?" You know.
2: Well, you know, it's interesting because my dad uh, was does. He have a PhD all... in potatoes. No, no, okay. no, sorry. No. <laughs> Did mean I didn't <laughs> no, mean to He was disparity. a navy guy <laughs> turned journalist, uh, and he ended up back in college at age seventy-eight to get his master's degree, Come which on. I think is pretty admirable that he wa- he wanted to continue because if I if I'm retired and if I stop learning, I'm not most might as well just die no so he ended up you know going back to school and getting his master's degree but my father always said if you know you want to be a journalist that's great be a journalist right but you better have something to 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 talk about or write about or have a passion so history was you know was something i was always very passionate about And, but I, my, my minor was, uh, you know, was British empire history, which was kind of silly, but it was a lot of history, a lot more history to learn there than was us history. So I chose that. And then I sprinkled it with economics, which was painful for me for a while, but going back to the airplane, I had something to apply it to. So I always felt that, and I think this is the thing with kids and STEM. I have worked now with STEM robotics groups and STEM, you know, um, education programs. And what I love about it is you get children of all different learning abilities, autistic kids and uh, you know that have talents and, and mainstream kids that have talents and kids that are off the chart genius level have talents, but when they all come together and collaborate and work, they do amazing things. And I think that's been the best part of reinserting what I call the fortification of STEM is that we took a lot of the good bits out of curriculum. And
0: now we put it back in. Yeah, well, let's, uh, we were back on your BBC days. So, yeah. I think, so BBC, yeah, right after uh, after your undergrad, you're still traveling the world and, and doing all this amazing journalism and, and news reporting.
2: My Bridget Jones era. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so yeah, where, where were what what was the mindset? What were you still the... single? <laughs> <laughs> well, that that could be part of your aspirations at that, that time too.
2: Yeah, no, it was a great experience. I like, I had been to England and uh, Scotland and Wales before that and spent some time there, but to work there is very differently, right? Because when you're traveling on on a holiday, uh, you know you 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 see things through the eyes of a tourist. Well, I was immersed in living there. And it's different because all of a sudden, you know, I was the yank and I, and as much as I thought, oh, i very accustomed to fitting in, I was, I stood out, uh, not by dress, you know, and attitude, but you know, probably some cultural nuances. Um, and I also learned that if somebody was not going to be kind to me being American, then all of a sudden I became either very Canadian or (laughs) defensive as everyone's everyone's kind to the Canadians, but living in, in the UK gave me was uh, just even more discipline because now I was operating at an international level. I had to make sure that I had extreme open consciousness and mind to not was just happening in in the United Kingdom, but the rest of Europe. And it gives you a different uh, perspective when you're actually going within, you know, hundreds of miles to totally different countries, thousands, and you see, you know, where World War II took place, and and kind of the how the proximity things were, and the multicultural fast. I grew up in a very diverse community in in San Jose, but going to re- as a reporter in, in any major city, whether it be Chicago or New York, where I also work, very very diverse, and but. At the international level, you realize I have to actually be reporting and creating stories. Somebody sitting in their living room in Poughkeepsie or in Tennessee or perhaps in the, you know Upper East Side or in, in the royal family is going to be watching this or listening to this episode because we did radio and then we did online. And so I had to push myself to what I call, it's like making a, a Martian a sandwich. You, you, you know, we all know how to make a sandwich, but if you're going to teach, a, you know, an alien or a Martian landed and you want to say, so well, make a sandwich, I'm like, how to make a sandwich. So you have to start. It's like, how do I kinda had to start from scratch? And I had some really great mentors uh, that helped me kind of break down my journalism, you know, the, down to a core, um I'm going to say, it, it wasn't British, it wasn't necessarily a way of reporting, but the BBC is a very specific style, very stylistic way of reporting the truth. Now, they also have a very, very um, unique way of of sensationalism as well. And the tabloids, you know, or, you know, people thrive by the tabloids in the, in the British. But I also spent a fair amount of time in, you know, in the middle east um israel um saudi arabia i spent a fair amount of time in africa uh so all those opportunities again have to like every time you go someplace where your passport is going to be used you have to be really open-minded and conscious and i think i always lead with a place of acceptance not expectance and as a reporter today i probably would be fired Because we're not, a lot of unfortunate things have happened with general basic reporting is certain media outlets, reporters aren't allowed to necessarily report the truth or to report, it's it's what the popular truth is. And so I come from with a very old school, just the facts and report, you know, content. And the tech and innovation sector, it still is pretty much the facts, right? Uh, it's who you are, what do you do, how do you do it, how much cost, and is it in the box or is it in the cloud,
3: uh, <laughs> 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 right?
2: But I, but I still think that the, the basic fundamental, you know, components are there.
0: Oh, that's uh, that that like, the the at this age i'm I'm surprised like how your ego didn't really explode because you're still young. you're traveling the world. You're working with these amazing like international brands. But then I know that you because when I met you in San Jose, you were completely one hundred percent just focused on early stage tech companies, including hardware, which was extremely, extremely hard back back then. And like I'd love to get a sense of like what what made you come back to that?
2: yeah. That's another story. So one thing more I'll say about the UK that it also gave me was appreciation for where I came from. <laughs> so after I did all that, I decided to get my my, my graduate degree. And so I came back, I applied to like four schools in the US and I ended up back at Berkeley. Um, they have a great graduate journalism program. And I knew uh, one of the professors I had worked with, um, or I, I actually worked with, was a student. And then I also did some like post-grad stuff. Uh, like in the summers, I come back and teach and things like that. He was the head of the department. He said, you know what? I don't even know why you're thinking about anything, any place else that this is the school, J school is where you belong. And you could also continue to work in the Bay Area. There's so many things happening, you know, in, in the in the um, healthcare segment, the uh, technology and innovation. And I thought, you know, I had to go back with all this experience, with all this wealth of knowledge and look at things from a different perspective. And it was really healthy because as much as we oftentimes think that we need to leave, you know, you always hear these stories about the small town girl or boy, and they went off to Harvard and they, you know, whatever. Um, and there's stories of, and, and you go back to your roots of what you, your family and your origin and what you stand for. And I remember there was a time in my life. I just I kind of wanted to get away from all of it. I'm the youngest, you know, I worked with family business and, and it was great, but I needed to see the world. And then I realized, okay, hey, I've been there, done that, it was great. But now what can I bring back? Right. And so it's it, it, and so that experience for me was a little bit of a homecoming. And I went back into being, you know, the program was designed you could be a working professional. If you are working professional, was going to take you three years. If you were uh, full-time, it would take you two. So I went the working professional route mm-hmm. because I needed to pay for it as well. And that was not easy. I went from living in London where I was full-time in a small flat. And I had two um, uh, housemates that were British Airlines um flight attendants. They were never home. So it was great. I had the whole place to myself. And then I go to Berkeley. I'm in a studio apartment with a Murphy bed. And I look up one night. I am like, I didn't know I had a wallpaper. Then I realized it was just totally wall infested with like little cockroaches. And I'm going, oh my gosh, like what am I doing? And I realized, you know, this is part of the experience. I left that place pretty quickly. Let's see <laughs> that. But I had to like frame my my life because I had a goal. It's going to be three years. I was going to work, but I also was going to go to school, which meant a big portion of my income was going to school. And uh, I was fortunate enough that I was working where the BBC uh, has still has you know decent presence in the Bay Area. And then one day I went to go do a news story and do an interview, and the what was a company called Three Com Corporation. And the head of the communications called me the next day and she said, Oh, thank you very much for interviewing. You know, the, the founder of the company, um, he was really impressed with you that I had asked questions, you know, at least, uh, that he hadn't been asked before. And I thought, I can't believe that because I would think he's been interviewed by everybody. So she pursued to, um, to recruit me, but I kept saying, no, no. And I said, well, I'm in school. I, am living in Berkeley. I, I got to live in Berkeley and, and about, I don't know, maybe two months continuous, kind of like take you to lunch. Can I, you know, it was lunch was a big thing. Right. And I thought maybe I should explore this. And so at that time it, it was the, you know, the networking boom going into the connected world and we're leaving AOL and going into the internet. Right. Remember AOL. Uh, and so it was a, an opportunity I explored. And then when I told her how much money I was making, she asked me, I remember my father saying, you never talk about politics, sex, or religion, or how much money you make or your social security. I mean, just talk about basic. And I'm like, thinking, well, that's really nervy. She's asking me how much money I'm making. And I told her and she laughed when I thought,
3: wow. Maybe I'm not valued enough. UPS is at my door, and I, you're gonna hear my dog Bella Luna. I apologize. All good. Okay, we're back. <laughs> Sorry about
2: that. No, I'll
0: I'll edit. Some,
2: some. My sidekick. You 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 guys have like you know two legged. I have a four legged sidekick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yeah, so uh, opportunity I decided to take, and I was the opposite part of the world for me. This is a big transition. I went from being a reporter to going into a public relations department. And my first thought was, these are the people that are trying to sell me all day long. What do they know? Well, when I interviewed with the team, everybody that was there was former journalists there was a couple of people that were from San Diego State that were communications majors, but for the most part, they were former journalists, current public public relations specialists, and they were from all over the United States. You know, they weren't from Silicon Valley, they were from Boston, they were from New York. And so it was really fascinating to me that these I could take my, my skill set and apply it and reverse it via the other side. And I didn't feel that public relations actually picked me. I didn't actually pick it, but once I got in there, because the money was really good too. It was like <laughs> like three times my salary. I mean, you kind of you're going to think about that, right? But what about and... the cockroaches,
1: Donna? Come on, that's rude. <laughs> oh, you're being you that's you're cheating them on them so already. Far <laughs> rude.
2: But that you know, was a great opportunity. I remember calling my father, and I said, "Dad." I had this opportunity and they want to pay me as a time. I was a reporter and I'm making $34,000 and this company's going to pay me three times that. I don't know about you, the travel was good and everything, but this got real good. And the first, uh, I remember my first day at work, I had to go to Intel and I had interviewed people at Intel for, for a number of years but I actually had walked in with the founder of the company. And at the time, Andy Grover was the head of the company and he noted me by first name. And the and the and the, and the president of the company was like, you know Andy, like on a first name basis. <laughs> so that's when I realized like, okay, this was the right thing to do. Cause now I'm gonna talk, I'm gonna go to the other side and I'm gonna really dig my heels. But I was a little intimidated as I might not seem like I would be intimidated but I was just a little intimidated Of these founders and and super tech geek, you know, kind of um, corral of people. But once I found out, as you mentioned, Raj, I had to go in and have conversations and I needed to break things down. I didn't have to have a degree in neuroscience and tech or anything to have conversations. And in some ways, I had to bring them to the table, like we're all at the same table, but I had to change the conversation.
1: So, I mean, again, like, I, 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 there's just so much behind it because, like, I feel like Donna, you know, because like, I know it's me, so I'm going to project. Like, when I'm looking in the mirror, I don't see, like, me. But, Donna, what I just heard there, too, is you did exactly what you've been doing your whole life. You went back and took your international exposure. You reframed your thought process in going home, which then trained you to go in, like, I don't need to be a PhD in neuroscience. You guys have a burden of knowledge. You have one hammer and every you know, everything's that nail. No, stop, doc, stop. This person isn't telling here. They're not here. So you come in with a reframe and you drag their asses into reality, not their head. So like, I, I mean, it's, it's been in there the whole time. It's amazing. And I think that's, what's so important for, not even Series A's and Series B's. I mean, pre-seeds. What everybody going through it all? Like you have to just remove. And again, my burden of knowledge always comes from I. I it's impaled an ego, and uh, the context is five physicians in my family. So our dinners at night, like the dog is throwing up. They're like, oh, it's you know, blah blah. Just about, just about. And it's about about. I was like. Nope. The dog actually ate its own poop. Like, stop it. You can't diagnose this dog. It's not sick. There's no ischemic bowel. It's nothing. It ate poop and it's throwing up. Yeah. And I'm like, Hey, doctors, doctors, doc. Hey, doctor, 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 Dr. Mawad chill out. The dog ate poop. (laughs) (laughs) The dog ate poop. But I mean, that's missed in the tech world, in the Silicon Valley. Hey, I'm Sequoia, whatever you want to call it.
2: And then it's like, Hmm. I have a theory that I came up with, um, I don't even know when I came up with it, but I come up with a lot of theories, but this is one of them, um, ego enge- engineering versus innovation. So, you know, when you go to pitches and accelerators and people pick, you know, pitch their products and stuff, and I sit there in scrutiny going, do we need that? Do I want that? Do I already have it? Right. And then I was like, well, I was like, okay, okay, is this really you know, like, like innovation or is it ego engineered? And we see a lot of that in, in the technology sector. Yeah. And, and, and I, I think we need as consumers, not just as you know professionals, but as consumers, I always question it. Do I need it? Do I want it? Do I have it? Is it gonna take over my life? I have a late adopter. As much as I like technology and innovation, I remember being resistant, as I mentioned earlier, like CDs. I remember being resistant to like Alexa and Siri and all these other women, like you know, and whispering in my voice. And now I find you know it's used for some sometimes GPS. I like because I never get lost anymore. But I think we should question those things as as consumers as well.
1: No, I mean, a hundred percent. And even in 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 the rudimentary pre seed young fledgling founder, it's 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 vitamin versus the pain pill. Who's actually going to pay for it? Like truly you can stroke your ego. There's a more expletive term for it. Um, But, but why? (laughs) What are we doing here? And then the pontific, you know, pontification about it. You're like, just. That's too many words, (laughs) too many words. Slow down. The dog ate its poop. It's fine. (laughs) You know, like you don't have to over-engineer it, but and that's wild Correct. because then so
2: we think, don't eat your own dog food, right? You take it to the next level. Don't eat your own dog food and your own poop. Um, anyway, I might steal that from you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it's just like it's it's pervasive, and I think it's tough. And then again, you get these these, and, and who loses? You're, these blow up valuations for nothing. That's that ego innovation of like, oh, I just generated an AI toilet. You're like, what? Why? Like, why did you make an AI toilet just so you could say we have blockchain in the toilet? And I'm like, stop it. Like, you don't need to use buzzwords to then.
3: Yeah, I guess I'm.
1: I don't know why I'm in a in a bathroom mood today. <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> no, but the, I've seen so much of these 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 nomenclatures and these monikers that are getting dropped at so cheaply now skewing everything from people who have real businesses vc capital's drying up and now they're like man we should have lifted we should have listened to donna you know back
2: you know one of my best experiences working in, in a tech company when i was working late and which was common and the janitors came in and i used to know like when the janitorial crew came in it's probably time for me to leave but i actually got to know some of them right and i would talk to them about you know would they use this or what their thoughts were like, they didn't know if they come, they come in to do their job in and out. And here I am crazy lady want to like interview them and see if they would, you know, want to try out a product. And, and it was, it was a really great dialogue to, to have because they were interested. And so we just assume because they're janitorial help, they're not going to be adapting, you know, uh, into the latest headset or, you know, whatever at the at the time, uh, you know, was working on, um, I worked on Palm and then I worked on BlackBerry and then I worked on, you know, the evolution of things, but I was also in a lot of like, when I say hardware, hardware, and that's why, you know, I'm not afraid of hardware because I I worked on bridges and routers and gateways and server crap before, you know, it was cool. And, and then, and then I got this cool consumer, you know, software stuff later, but having conversations with people and, and, you know, Outside of your own discipline is is so important. So we talk a lot about ESG in the workplace within corporations. And if you watch the office, the, the you know the sitcom, it's so politically incorrect. They must have seen the scenes. I watched it in the holiday season with my daughter, and she says, "How did this show ever get on TV?" And I said, "Well, it's before ESG and all this stuff, right? It's right up there with Archie Bunker and other shows in the past, but." I think it's really important to be conscious and aware, and in telling our story and who we are, and in the process of writing a book, one of my chapters is called "You Are Not Your Zip Code," because that means that you actually have freedom to move around, to explore, and have, be curious and discover. And just because you grew up in one place, I grew up, in, you know, zip code in in the in the East Foothills of Silicon Valley. I went to New York City as a totally different zip code and zip codes should push us out of our comfort zone. And they should also welcome us at the same time of new knowledge and and information. And so that particular chapter to me is very enduring because I I had to step back and and think about that and what that meant. And and so you can be whatever zip code you want to be. Just make it the truth.
1: And that's been a that's been amplified at you know in in magnitudes and multiples with COVID because it's now it's digital borderless. Like I remember a friend of mine was saying, like I'd say two like at the prime in the, in the primacy of it is like clubhouse turned into like it was just VCs walking around there in shorts and flip flops. It wasn't like the kind of like boom boom boom. So he's like it was a digital borderless. So it's really what changed. You could be in like you said. Sorry.
2: What happened to Club? Is anybody using it now?
1: That's, and that's another point. Like, no, what was the point of that vitamin?
2: We were all told to go in, hang out with the cool kids. And then the cool kids all went off to something else because nobody else was showing up. I don't know.
1: (laughs) And I'm sure they raised $5 billion. You
2: know, I have worked with companies with two guys and no dog. or or a couple of two guys, a girl and a cat, because it couldn't afford a dog and, and gone through that process of, you know, concept to execution, to market. Very frugal. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the things that I I mentioned earlier is like, try help my clients spend the money like it's in their pocket is because I now know the, the, the shortest route to destination and, and to be able to, like, I, I always, you know, with our media, I say there's a nifty fifty. Those are like, you know, it's a big, longer, targeted list of people you want to talk to. But there's my dirty dozen, and where, and the dirty dozen is where, like, I swear, I I don't have much time in launching a company like an electric motorcycle company that I work with. I had 10 days to CES, they called me, it was holiday season, I almost fell off my chair, and they said, because I was looking for an EV client, I manifested it, Raj, I'm like, I want this, I want an EV client, and I want it on two wheels, (laughs) got it, Had a few after that, but they said, I said, CES 2021, and they said, CES 2020, it was, I'm like, that's in 10 days, and they said, yep, and I said, okay, I'm your girl, I can do it. I knew who to call. I knew what analysts to call. I knew what analysts talked to what media and I knew what media directly would t- to write. And, and so that's a template and a formula, you know, that that over and over and over and over and, over and again and, and and kind of replicating that. But where did that and, go? And put, where did and it go? People, what's that?
1: Where did it go, Donna? Where did the like, all right, I got to call up my Jim Brown. Like, we got to go to work. We got to invade the cast. Like, where the- no 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 let me do a mass hire oh we miss numbers let me do a mass fire oh wait actually before you leave i need to rehire you because i'm an idiot
3: oh yeah
1: enough i'm i'm not even old and i'm tired of it
3: <laughs>
2: it's hard so I, it's really well, hard i was a little sad the last couple of weeks and in, in silicon valley um there was just some crazy that was happening and it's been in my mind uh Elon Musk tweeting, you know, about San Francisco and love that everybody who's, you know, gonna be killed in the streets blah, blah, blah. And it was it was a little ludicrous. But I had to stand back and look at it because I, I actually like when I look talk about ego engineering and innovation, I okay, Elon, and he's a lot of contributed a lot. But I like the Elon that actually is like looking up at space as a wonderkin and thinking, wow, that's amazing. Look what we just did. Not the one who's tweeting and and tearing down the Silicon Valley, because those of us that are really involved in the in the Silicon Valley and and the Gulch or wherever the valley may be, you know, we we live it, and there are things that socially, you know, could change, but it ended up being like this social profiling and and like reputation management kind of in defense of, you know, of Silicon Valley and in San Francisco that things need to change, but. I was I was kind of I was embarrassed for him that he went took it too far and it, and it was the I would go into meetings and people were down. they were upset. it was a tragic situation it happened and then all the stuff the drama is coming out unfolding though is is it's gotten weirder. but a really good friend of mine, Sand Springer Liz, in in the East Bay, and he operates an amazing public affairs business. He is the crisis guy. If I need to put out a crisis, I can do a crisis plan. But he's the guy that basically defended the San Francisco Zoo. I don't know if you remember this situation when the teenage kids that went drunk on Christmas Day went in and jumped in the tiger pit, and they were killed. Well, guess what happens? You jump into a tiger pit, you're probably not going to make it so he worked, you know, reputation with the San Francisco Zoo and the city and those things. He's also the one you call in if you actually have a major product issue or, you know, reputation management within the executive stuff. He's brilliant. It's not, and what he does is real. Like he really gets, you know, down to the core facts and stuff. Sam, ironically, has been in this industry for as many, not longer than I have been. His office is the same residence where the person who, you know, who was arrested for the murder? And I, he was quoted in the San Francisco Chronicle, and about you know the city's reputation and you know preservation of that. But I, I had to text him. I said, Sam, I said you must be really happy that all the news trucks in the San Francisco Bay Area are outside your business office right now because he his business work. But I said, I said, and he says, Yeah, what did you think? Because The public. You know, the public affairs, your know, crisis communications, you know, building is basically in lockdown right now, I, mean, I can't, you know can do my job. But what I what I thought was really interesting is how full circle and how well con- closely connected we are to thing things, right? We are all in you know within proximity of similar you know zip codes and we are somehow all connected. And it's like you said, Kevin Bacon theory or whatever you want. But at the end of the day, I think that we have a responsibility as professionals and, and, and as citizens to just be kind. And that's what the part that really annoyed me about these worthless tweets. I don't really use Twitter anymore. Not even before that. It's just that. Does it really matter? If we're gonna. It spin? Doesn't help. does it fucking help. Yeah. If we're gonna is it gonna help us in five years? And let's not spend five minutes on it. Yeah, and wow. I think.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good one. Yeah, I think why I'm so like kind of like fidgety right now is like, honestly, I feel it too. I just do. I'm from Texas, so I'm from the South. I have never seen us so fractured so far there used to be some semblance of bipartisan ah, I hate you I hate you but let's like and I don't care about politics just like you know I won't talk zip codes about, but I'm like just this, this is stupid this is stupid and and I'm not a smart person and I can see it's stupid it's yeah well it
2: was it like really sniper.
1: depressing I won't lie yeah
2: so I was like, morale booster back if Yeah, few weeks can- sorry <laughs> we're back it no because I, so the I'm, dog ate its poop right guys <laughs> I'm defending the 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 quote the industry of Silicon Valley tech and you know, it's like it's it's last eyes right it goes you know started you know in the roots of in, in San Jose Palo Alto but it's the last eyes all the way to San Francisco and then we have pockets in Seattle and all these other tech things areas right but I just think it it I personally offended when something like that happens, because I know that there's just so many great people that are working really hard um, to to, um, you know, the fifth largest economy in the world. Agriculture to me is I, I mean, I'll be totally transparent, agriculture and farming. When I go to the Salinas Valley, I put my hands up. To me, it is more thrilling to drive through Salinas Valley and see the heartland and all the and, and the agriculture we have. More exciting than going to San Francisco Golden Gate Bridge. You know why? Because that is like literally down to the soil and to the baseline of the of the you know the fertilization and, the, and of who we are. This Silicon Valley has a mystique. If you got to go back to the roots of like we put concrete on top of some of the most fertile valley and then we put a, put a slap a label and we call it company Apple. And then we create another company and we call it, you know, better, whatever. But it's like I feel in, in a lot of ways what, I, what I'm doing is I'm harvesting new crops, <laughs> working with my, my clients and telling de- their stories. But there's a lot of harvesting that happens, particularly in the sales side and in, in the marketing side of things. And so looking at those those parallels is if I was from someplace else, I'm curious, Roger, your perspective coming from Texas to the valley. And is the do you I see the equal, you know. Agriculture being significantly as important as, as innovation technology. And somehow in between this, people get left behind. Not everybody's making a deep six-figure salary, people. Come on, this is a little reality there. Then we hit pandemic. The service industry was hit really hard. And the agriculture industry was hit really hard. So when I hear tech people complaining that they're not going to get their lunches and their food programs and stuff, I'm like, Nobody ever paid for my groceries. <laughs> Going back to being in my 20s and my 30s, you know, in my roots of my, of my PR career, a journalism career before PR. No, about my breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I knew where every happy hour in town was where you can get free hors d'oeuvres. Though. <laughs> you know what you're
1: God, i today is just like a dark day. I don't know what it <laughs> is. But it's so funny you just said that, Don. And what I heard in my again, I just take words in and whatever hits my brain. It's like, how did they get to that point? How not privilege? I'm gonna say words from because I'm from Texas, just blame it on that. Like, hey, pay for my lunch, pay for my coffee. How did they get to that privilege? Technology. Sorry, and now it's like, but I'm supporting technology, so like you know it's 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 an interesting feedback loop. It's like, man, we are ruining some shit. we are ruining some shit with this stuff, but I gotta support it, but then it's like the how do I support it the right and uh,
3: the altruistic.
1: who's the altruistic what's his name the altruistic the Googler uh he wants wow. the the internet to be and it, thank you Sergey no, not Sergey but like, he wants the internet to be used altruistically like for the right he's a big kind of a funny name i think it's just because like my point is like it comes to me like yeah it's coming it is coming it might have ruined this it might have ruined the past it might you know but it's coming so somebody's got to fight the good fight or, or somebody's got to get in there the right way because it's, it's gonna come i can pretend like it's not i can i can live in the past and be all, oh what was me my my dog Where are the pep
2: girls when you need them that's all i gotta say <laughs> who was that guy well but you know it's true because i see with my with my own kids growing up and every parent's had this the phone wars right and classroom teachers having to deal with that you know it's like and and like think about it we went to school elementary school probably for you middle school definitely high school and college for me without Google without being able to have access to the digital world and stuff. Gen Xs and the telling of the baby boomers didn't have this. And so the generation growing up and under under Z, I don't know. I, I'm beginning to think with the ESG world we're living in, people are, are going back to like, oh, I care about humanity. I, everything needs to be meaningful. But we also have to be really careful. There's a blend. I think we all need to be socially responsible you look at it, futurists like i love of uh, uh, faith popcorn i love that saying the name but you know she's a futurist and, and been writing about this for years about the social evolution of people my daughter's a sociology major and and so she was the opposite. she goes, mom she goes my brother can go to business and do whatever he wants but i want to do i want to save the world so my joke was always he's going to save in the next designer cell she's going to save the world And I was looking at our class studies and I said, you know, Valentina, I think that you need to take an art class, art appreciation, art history class. Why do I want to do that? I said, well, because you're, I said, I'm surprised it's not part of the social sociology curriculum. I said, because it is known historically over time, and I used the pandemic as an example. I said, I'm hoping out of the pandemic, we get some great art. We get some great fashion. I don't know if you look at fashion lately, but the fashion runway shows are just ridiculous. I look like we're in these cocoon balloon (laughs) things. And and I said, but... So you know, society and reflects the sign of the times. And so, if you look at the Renaissance and what was happening then, if you look at in the in the twenties, you look at you know the sixties, and then you get into the you know know, all these different eras. So she kind of thought it was a a bad idea, but eventually she said, "Okay, I'm going to talk to you know." She talked to her her advisor, and they said, "Oh yeah, you know, you could take that as an elective." Turns out, one of her most favorite classes because she did can make the connection of art and society, and I took her, I drove her around San Jose, and I said, look at this mural, who do you think painted this mural, what does this mural express in the community, let's go to a different neighborhood, what's expressive over here, right, and I even told, you know, tagging, I'm like, that's an expression, right, that's a sign of the times, right?" you see homeless people, that's another expression, right, so anyway, my point is that you can't, we can't live with I mean, a lot of people will live with blinders, but I feel the more knowledge that I have and the more social understanding that I have, and not just, you know, what's coming out of some tech manual, the more I can be a better service in my industry to my clients and to the the customer. Today, I was on a call. It was really funny. And it's a market segment that... I was going to say, it's a a tracking market for tracking, you know, devices and things. And everybody immediately shows the tracking tag, you know, with the the keys, because people lose their keys all the time. Lose your keys, lose your mind, right? It's like, lose your keys, lose your phone. Well, if you remember when GoPro first came out, they were really clever. They put the camera on a turtle, right? And we all paid attention. It's like, oh, do I need that? Roomba came out, and what do they do? A cat on the, you know, on the Roomba, and it caught our attention. Like, why are we still voting, showing a, a key and a tracker? Like, I know when my kids were little, if they lost their blanket, they'd scream. So I'm thinking, put it on a baby blanket, right? <laughs> you know, put it on your dog, and do other things that you can put it on. But I, I, I kind of just had to expand, you know, the conversation or start that conversation and shake it up. Can we look beyond that, right? if you look at autonomous cars, autonomous technology is an example, and I've worked in numerous companies in that category, is I had to talk to not just the companies who are making the technology, but companies that could apply it. So aviation, automotive, right? Um, aerospace. Talk to scientists and doctors that actually, you know, in the research lab, is it safe? Should I be, but should I be concerned? Like, would you be an autonomous car? And it's interesting to hear, you know, the the array of responses that I got. Um, Dr. Jeffrey Schultz out of Yale was fascinating to talk to because he owns a Tesla, but he drives it with great caution because he doesn't necessarily trust the technology. He trusts the idea of autonomous, but he doesn't trust the technology yet. He doesn't think we're there. And I think that, that's one of the things that we should be. It doesn't make any difference if you're a pharmaceutical, if you're a tech, or other agriculture, different market segments. We should always ask those questions. I almost got hit by
3: one of those Google
2: cars like a couple of days ago. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, <I've>,
0: wow. <laughs> Hopefully, it didn't have the camera
1: on top. <laughs>
3: it now could be forever. a big shot in some <laughs> <face wall. laughs>
1: I think that's just super interesting because, because so when I was running my fund, um, I was pretty good. I, I was pretty good and, and, but I was super hyper focused on some really esoteric stuff, really weird stuff. So people would ask me, like, ah, that's, that's, that's a twofold. People ask me, like, so what do you think about Apple? And I'm like, I no idea. They're like, you run a hedge fund. I was like, yep. They're like, and you don't know, like, what do you think about Apple? I was like, I don't know. I, I have no idea. I don't touch equities. So, like, my ego wasn't there. I had to be like, no, I don't know that. Here's my lane and, and I get it. I don't, I think we're missing that. But I think it came because I was pretty good at what I did because I've studied history. I'm a curious person. I think that's something you said as well, which seems to be an underlying thing that Seth and I always hear on anybody on this show. It's curious, curious, curious. And so like, I think that's an underlying thread, which I love, but I would, I would study history and I'd understand what changes So did uh, monetary and fiscal policy. So understanding fx derivatives you know currencies and all that stuff so it's like cool in history if this changed or if this country went to war how would this change and blah 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 blah. so I, I, and then i remembered like when did that because it's psychological and philosophical but it also when it comes to, to actual work when did that fabric start to tear industrial revolution took me away from my dad on the farm it took daughters away from the to go work and this and build and whatnot we lost that family dynamic we've lost that unity And it's so funny, again, technology is the one that disrupted the, I mean, again, I'm being very broad brush here, but like, I didn't work on the farm with my dad anymore. I didn't come up and sun down and sun down, which then tore the fabric. And then could people be like, oh, that's almost low key or, you know, low work unless you're in technology. So it's, it's interesting if you go back into history and understand how much it can help you for the front side of it, but they just don't want to.
2: Yeah, I was working with an electric tractor company for the last three years, and it was really interesting to literally go back into the field and at ranches and farmers and talk about how challenging difficult it is for them to make a living. And we're talking generations, four or five generations of farmers, and it's the family business, and they're not able to make a living. So what do they do? They, they need to innovate. They need to uh, look at new technologies, They, they would a staff, a a, stat, a, a staffing you know employment uh, problem they have climate change they got you know in california with fires and the and the drought and then you then when the covid comes i mean they were hit really hard and and so you look at that and well, i don't know i'm sorry but if you're sitting in a cubicle at some major publicly traded company stop complaining about not having when their entire agriculture industry was so affected in the food that is delivered and comes to our table um stop i don't know i'm just gonna use the word it's entitled selfish whatever i don't know we could have up with a new word today
1: it's funny too especially because you're at pr and you hit on something uh i traded I, I cleared a lot of commodity derivatives so i'm sure you remember in 11 when corzine was at mf global so i had quite a bit of money locked up at MF Global when it went bankrupt uh, when because he was a trading partner of ours. And a lot of people like, oh, these traders like, oh man, you know, I lost my money. These are grain silos that hedge the crops of these far, Like they've lost their lives. Like people don't understand if it's in that cubicle, like thought process, like you're saying, it's like, what about me? And i hitting my wallet. But the reality is that commodity derivatives on grain before technology were making sure that their cattle didn't die. We're making sure that they have that generational farming and we've bastardized it through technology. So, like it's so interesting to see that. And then it's coming full circle. EV
2: Maybe we should all st- start thinking like farmers.
1: Bill Gates isn't picking up stuff for fun.
2: You need to plant seeds, water them,
3: nurture. <laughs> Weird.
2: Well, you know, it's interesting because y- you're in the finance sector, and I remember. Another pivot for me uh, is after working and, and doing a bunch of startup companies, a so reporter, corporate side, publicly traded companies. And then I did f- four IPOs. And then I took, the fifth one would have been a, a great one. It was a storage company. But unfortunately, after working there for six weeks, they lost their funding. So there were 300 people let go. I was called in to write, ready for this? I love this. I was brought in to tell them what was happening, the unfortunate news, and I needed to write the corporate communication language and everything for the layoff that was to happen, which included myself. So I got to read myself my own letter. (laughs) And then I uh, got a six week sevens package, which technically the company really didn't owe me. I'd only been there six weeks. So they were actually being fairly, Generous to give me, you know, a package, but I remember walking to my car, two thousand two. It wasn't really a great time to be, you know, going out there freelancing in the world. Two thousand one, I had a lot of friends that lost their houses and stuff, you know, through the all the the rate the craziness that was happening uh, with interest rates and stuff. And I remember walking to my car, and I put the severance check, and I was thinking I better go to the bank and cash it because what if it doesn't, you know. But it wasn't clear. And I had a $5 bill in there. I didn't carry much cash in my purse in general. And I had a $5 bill. I had a Starbucks card. I get in the car and I look at
3: the gas gauge. And I had half-ticket gas. And I had just this moment going, okay, I'm a pilot.
2: The windshield is much bigger than the rear (laughs) view mirror. I'm just going to keep, I'm going to drive right Yo, now. Oh, I
1: love that.
2: I'm driving right now to the business office on First Street in San Jose. And I'm going to get myself a license. And on my way to get the business license, talk about being thrown to like the, the, the oven here. I call three people.
3: Venture capitalist friend. My old employer, whose
2: job I didn't really need to leave. I was, you know. It was really good that I, I was timed. I wanted a new opportunity and an editor. By the time I got to the business office, the three people that I thought would be my Kevin Baker and equivalent all had something for me t- to do. And I basically it's, called it's, and said,
1: it randomly happens to you, Donna. It's it's <laughs> totally <laughs> it's random. It is totally to... <laughs> random. <I did. laughs> By sheer happenstance, shit happens for you, girl.
2: I, I didn't say, I'm unemployed, I'm unemployable. I said, Hi, this is Donna. I'm a consultant now. And I wanted to see if you might have talked to you about some, like, right. I just literally made a
1: check. On. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. <laughs> I
2: went to the business license office and I look at this massive manifesto. And I see auto mechanics, nail shops, hair, you know, all these different things. And I don't see anything that says public relations. I don't see anything that says marketing. I'm like, I'm like, oh, how do I do this? I didn't know. They really discovered this. So I asked the woman, she goes, well, you would follow other under consultancy. And I'm like, nice, just as which, you know, do you get to use your real name, fictitious name? And I said, no, I'm just going to use my name. And by the time I got home, I went from $5 in my pocket and this six-week check to 15000 in projects. By the time I woke up the next day, it was $50,000 in projects. And I went, yes. And I never looked back. Because that rear view mirror is too small.
3: <laughs> that is
1: awesome.
2: That, I, awesome. Like, chef, I got. Small, I honestly, happened. <laughs>
1: I got nothing. Like, I literally yeah. like. <laughs>
2: uh,
3: no, are that's... you hiring? <laughs>
2: <laughs> so there you go. That's 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 been the last fifteen years. You know what? Uh, Fuck,
1: screw that. Are you adopting? <laughs> <laughs> That is, that
2: that is, that. That is i've been crazy. waiting for somebody i actually adopted my kids I, I adopted my kids from from russia um and that was an interesting experience because i was running a business and then like literally three years later i'm like hey that's you know stopped a couple of kids i do infants you know startups all the time let's do like a toddler startup uh, but, go for you? <laughs> <laughs> well you know the the first The first uh, couple of months was like a tsunami, right? Because you you go from like being a professional and, and uh, you know, not really having that response. Not that I wasn't responsible at that level of responsibility being a parent. But all of a sudden, you have siblings, two and a half and four. And... You know, they talk and they they they're very active and they speak another language. And I, I needed to brush up my Russian. And and fortunately, they started speaking English faster than my Russian and and all these things. And I remember my brother saying, "You never do anything that's not complicated." <laughs> <laughs> but uh I, I I had my team at the time we were all women, and they and, and because of the fallout of what was happening. After the dot-com dot bubble, I was able to start my first five employees were women who would stay-at-home and could work, you know, with their kids. But they they were they wanted some mental stimulation, and so they could work fifteen, you know, twenty hours, you know, not a week, you know, sometimes a month. And then as their kids got older, they started taking on more hours. And so we had a joke at one point: LMGPR stood for Loving Mothers Good PR but it really is leadership, momentum, and growth. But they were actually a key part of the fabric of my success of doing you know, duality now. As I, my kids never felt that I wasn't accessible or available. I mean, I took them to school. I picked them up. I was out after school and gave me, having a business gave me more flexibility than the corporate world. And I think that's one of the things that I liked about the pandemic is, I saw men now going into that role of, of, of my clients you know, having their kids sit on their laps or their dogs and stuff, and it kind of humanized and you know, and and equalized things in some regard, which I thought was cool. No, that's
3: uh, that. That's uh, where I the, be back tomorrow, the lessons like, in perspective.
0: I, wow,
1: and I'm over here. So I have a Seth. Did you ever meet Mary Kay? Um, I haven't. I I know who she is. So I had a business and a very good friend. And and honestly, she remind like you guys are. Lockstep, and I was like, "What? I, but like, what am I? Why?" So she communications, but she was in Berkeley, worked for the city of Berkeley, you know, public information officer, city manager officer. Now she's doing, she's vice president at Wusha, her sunshine communications, and she makes shit happen, Donna. And she like, she's basically your sister because she's, she's a sister. BA, she's a BA, she's a wolf. She like she sharpens her teeth. And like, but I think like you in a perfect nutshell, Donna was, you just dropped it. It was like, you, it's just awesome. It's like, oh, I'm going to brush up on my Russian. It's not like, oh shit, I got to go learn Russian. Of course, Donna's like, nah, man, I got to just actually brush up. Hold on real quick. Yeah, I'm good. Like, that's like (laughs) perfectly you in a nutshell. It's like, I got to brush up on my Russian, Donna.
2: Well, but I told you what's uh, actually, I'll tell you what's on my desk, right? What I have, I'm looking at it. I have. Uh, Richard Avedon advertising book like how to advertise and promote I have yep. Andy Warhol Polaroids 1958 to 1987 okay. Bob Dylan song book. I have the Prince song book. I have a dare to launch which was a guest on my podcast a great book for starts not printer. Uh I have a how to dust up on your your uh, Italian and then I have uh, Sahibzada Dolly and then it's a bunch of like books of people that I'm. You know, oh, and I have my Doctor Seuss Green Eggs and Ham.
1: But this is you're her spirit animal, and you are because you have the yin and the yang, the eclectic mix of the hard of the soft, the, the the physics and the psychology. The and this is how you win. It's not tech tech build build feature feature focus focus founder. It's not. You have to sell. You have to know psychodemographics. Like,
2: well, this is burn just, you out. I mean, that was like, my I will say, I, I felt that the when. When I, the storage company shut down, it was actually a door. I'm, I mean, I'm very symbolic. The door flew open for me, like it just swung open. And I think we have to look for those opportunities in our life personally. But I don't have my professional life dictate who I am. I am not my my zip code. I am many zip codes, right? And who I am. And I happen to reside back in, in proximity, not too far from the zip code I grew up. But... I am many zip codes. And the the title of my book is You're going to laugh. Holy
1: shit. I am many zip codes, please.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. $5 and a half a tank of gas. How to create unlimited stories for entrepreneurs, geeks, and divas. That's the book. Wow. Because the story or the narrative in which we all need to create for ourselves isn't just for. Innovators and in tech—that's my world I live in. But I can go to a, a family mom and pop restaurant, grocery store, uh, hairdresser, and help them create. And I do this all the time for people I meet. I just like, let me help you. <laughs> I was talking to a to a, uh, a a roofing company and family business, regenerations generations. And he said, "Oh, we got Instagram and all stuff." And he shows. He was all excited, and I looked up, and I said, well, "You know." I said, you have a you have a really you know solid, you know, trusted business and you have a lot of loyal customers. But you don't put a roof on a house. What every 10, 20 years, right? Depending on that, and where you live, what part of the country. I said, but what you're really about is that is the you're you're putting a you're building the structure where memories and moments and things happen your child's footsteps, high school, you know, proms, graduations, weddings, funerals. So the roof over one's head, symbolically, is more than just a roof from a roofing company. So I just gave him some tips and things. And he kind of looked at me like, wow, I never thought, like, how do you make up this? <laughs> but it doesn't really make any difference. It's just looking I mean, I, I have people call me and they say, "I don't think this is in your in your color well." And I'm like, "And they like try me." And then I and then they hear, it, you know, what they're selling and all that. I got that one, the electric tractor company. I got that from um, the first 3D printed chassis. I didn't know anything about car chassis, but I needed to take the story and make it. With it. The first motorcycle helmet with the eyes in the back of your head. I think that's when I met you, you know, basically bringing this really cool tech and putting it in application, augmented reality, but for an industrial headset, it didn't exist. So I think one of the things that I love about what I do is when I is finding uh, ideas, uh, idea makers and shapers that also believe what I do, which is imagine the possibility. I, but I also say no a lot too. A Spectre Gadget comes in and shows me like all the cool stuff in his jacket. You know that movie with Matthew Broderick? I watched the Guggenese the other night, by the way. It was so funny. I was like, oh, this happened. An <laughs> and I just like, no, nah, I don't need that. No, nah, who wants that? I don't need that. Go to CES, you see a lot of that. And I'm like, nope, don't want it, don't want it. But I had to be really, really discriminating. In, in, you know, and in, in, in discriminating, sorry and what I want to work on, because I, I can now choose, I worked really hard in my career, and I had to say yes a lot, but I, I, it's okay to say no, and, and I also want to tell you, you know, it's like, when I talk to, I work with a lot of industrial designers, and engineers, and um, electri- electrical, you know, um, like Mighty Studios, and Spanner, you know, are great engineering firms, that they're the, they're the people that are behind, like, the Apple products and the beat products and the, you know, the Samsung products, that's all done in-house people, (laughs) you know? So these, these engineering firms are amazing to work with. And sometimes I'll call them and I say, I don't know, what do you think about, you know, this artificial, I'm making this up artificial intelligence, cybersecurity, you know, blender, do we need it? And I'm like, nah, we don't need it. But are they working on something that's, you know, similar? But I think we—it's okay to say no. It's okay to say no when you go shopping too. <laughs> Particular, I got, I got another another. I'm like UC Berkeley, like you know, speakers' corner here. <laughs> fast fashion. Fast fashion is another area that I particularly watched a lot. I interviewed somebody on my podcast about fast fashion, and I wasn't aware. That as individuals, how much we contribute to the landfill, and I got—I knew it was a lot, but I didn't realize that the number was so extraordinarily big. And I we felt suck. extraordinarily small and kind of yeah. stupid, to be honest. And I think being again being aware, right? What happens out of the country? What happens at somebody else's? You know, offshore. Do you remember? I don't know if you remember, but. Um, in the late 80s, a lot of the technology companies, particular hardware companies, uh, had to stand up and take responsibility for not offshoring
3: other crap that they weren't using. If you haven't
2: been to India or to parts of other parts of the world where you see battery graveyards, that concerns me. Concerns me for the health of the people that are doing it, but also concerns me. This is where I, I I I love the idea of electrification and green. But what? How are we going to solve the the democratization of the the you know of the batteries and how are we going to dispose? If we're not thinking about that, I don't care what kind of EV car you drive, you should be thinking about that because the manufacturing and the disposable of that battery. There's more hazardous
3: than the carbon. Well,
1: and let's close that feedback loop because you're so right and you nailed it. And that's why your job is so important. It really is because we got to say our nose. We got to be realistic. We got to think about, okay, first they're stripping the mines. First they're trying to get their cobalt. Then they're going to like, let's be realistic. Everybody wanted to maybe vilify nuclear, but done in the right way, the bi-waste might be, but you have to have the, the marketing, you have to have the PR, you have to be like, listen, we get Chernobyl sucked, we get it, but here's the opportunity cost of blah, 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 And people can't just pretend that, again, they want to say the word blockchain and be, you know, virtue signaling when reality is at stake here. But you have a different framing of it. And I'm sure it's gotten you in trouble, not in trouble. Maybe it's got yeah. some doors closed. And you don't you want know, to be in those doors, probably.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly. To say you, you have to, yeah, it, it's, it's a tough love, you know, tougher love. I said earlier, <laughs> I think, you know, I, I've worked in blockchain too and I think that I do like about blockchain in certain markets like healthcare, pharmaceutical, Absolutely. it makes total sense food industry. I do care about where the food I eat came from and the source and we, we stop doing Nasty things in the in, in preparation and, and of food. food, every virus that we've had that and the pandemic, you know, included was either food or animal contamination. Back to agriculture. We're not your, care, we're not your caretakers. Just back to you agriculture. really suck at it. So, <laughs> when it comes to uh, when it comes to you know organic. I I personally I have my own garden. I grow a lot of my own vegetables and I share. How do I have time for this? I make time for it. It's a priority for me. People say, Oh, how do you have time? It's not that hard to grow a tomato. And you also will appreciate even more the farmer who's put their back into it and the and the and the field workers that I mean, uh, I I think I got a dozen strawberries. Last year my strawberry plants because I kept fighting the squirrels. Squirrels really enjoyed it. But it really makes you humble and appreciate those that are actually doing these labor-intensive jobs. That's a reason why agriculture is going to go up. Most of the most of the water from the recent, you know, flash floods and stuff that we had did not feed the fields. It, It the drainage went elsewhere. So we're not out of that yet. And we should be aware, you know, these these. The fires and the rain, and I mean, all these different things that California particularly has been dealing with, the agriculture market segment keeps getting hit again and again and again. And if anything keeps me up, I think about those types of things. Is how do we actually just be not better? I'm gonna say just be better humans,
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, right?
3: I think we
0: could all use use uh, that kind of perspective. <laughs> um, so, Donna, I'd love—I to, I mean, you mentioned you work with over five hundred startups at different stages, um, and we're we're unfortunately approaching the end of the episode. But <clears throat> for the viewers, right, like the most of our viewers are like pre-seed, seed, some Series A kind of companies who maybe PR and communications are at the at the end of their Kind of a task sheet. Um, I'd love to first off here like a, a quick summary about the kinds of companies that you work with and then at what stage you lo- you actually believe not only do you provide the most value but then also where you believe that the startup should or founders should be thinking about bringing on somebody like you.
1: And, yeah, and, maybe, and maybe Donna because I think that's so important but maybe if you could say while you're at the at a different part maybe let the founders know even at pre-seed, they should be thinking of something. Again, maybe not engaging, you know, but I'm saying like, because yeah. I feel like it's got to be in there somewhere. Obviously, there's opportunity costs, burn, all that stuff. But I love what Seth was saying. But at some point, they should think about it even in ideation.
2: Yeah. Yeah, you can't just innovate to innovate. I mean, I think that's great for a lab if you have the luxury of working. Uh, at and, and, and my co- my podcast, "Before It Happens," show I created it because I had access to some really great, you know, scientists and innovators. And there were people that I was working with, or just people I just I met through you know networking. And I'm thinking, wow, that's really cool. I want to tell the help tell these stories, but the companies that I work with are typically in two camps. They call I call them, you know, smaller early stage companies in emerging markets that are either privately funded or just got their a funding. I work within with what I call a jumpstart program, which is the affordable, you know, program that basically over three month period, I'm gonna write their their story, I'm gonna write their 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 pitch, I'm gonna get them some quick editorial so that they have something to walk into the venture capitalist with and get them, you know, and everyone wants TechCrunch. I'm like, oh, let's think bigger than that. And I I spoil them sometimes. I say, oh, you know, I'm gonna get you the Wall Street Journal, I'm gonna get you in the New York Times, and I'm gonna get you, you know, places that their market needs to be. And so I, I'm always excited to work with them because. Oftentimes they only work with me for ninety days, and it's their spin's not big, you know, and I'll just give a number. It's like fifteen thousand dollars over a three month period is not a big spin. But then guess what? They keep me informed. I kind of mentor them along the way. they call me. I give them, I give them, you know, guidelines, do introductions where I can. And then when they get the money, they typically will call me back. So, the that's basically using jumpstarting your your market presence and just pushing yourself catapulting you out into the market, and so that you can get exposure. If you are funded already and you have a product and it's and it's in full development and it's going out, typically the stage I work in is like six months before launch. Because that's where the market analyst and the influential, you know, I want to call influencers that uh, people, every category has an influence. And I don't mean social media influencers. I mean, you know, people that are you know, book authors or um, or, yeah, or just evangelists, themselves. you know, that I can leverage into these conversations and in the media, I have a really big article coming out in Wired Magazine for a client I've been working with for three years. Oftentimes people say, oh, I want to be in the cover of like Forbes. I want to be in the cover, you know, Business Week and I want to be in Wired. I'm like, well, let me tell you how you're going to get there because you're not going to get there if you're in my jumpstart category because you haven't, you don't, you don't have the, the revenue, you don't have the market, you know, you know, your customer set, you just you haven't you haven't earned it. Sorry, you're not entitled to it. There's no entitlement in PR. So I get to say that a lot too, Raj, which is fun. So being able to work with the early stage companies and help them get to that level that they can get their funding and then continue to work. And then when they get to the next phase, which is being able to work with them, you know, more in a retainer base, it's really not about a retainer or a program. It's about the engagement and the trust that my clients have working with me. And that's why I have a lot of clients that come back to me multiple times. Right now, I have a client who's also on two boards that I work with. And so there's a lot of trust in the network that I, you know, that, that, People know when LMGPR comes into the room is we're going to be a chamomile tea. We're going to listen, but at the same time, we're going to be a little bit of an espresso because our job is to help you be better at what you what you do. <laughs> Amazon's here. <laughs> <laughs> So anybody who wants to, you know, explore, jumpstart, early stage, or thinking about creating a company, the entrepreneurship, I'll t- you know, I love chatting with entrepreneurs. I, I have a couple of conversations going on right now. People probably won't be ready to hire me for another two years. And that's fine. I, I But I give them the guidance that they need and trust that I'm not just asking them to write a check. It's not about writing a check. It's, it's, it's an engagement. And then we, you know, really ultimately become, you know, a family in a sense, you know, so I guess, and I personally take a lot of, uh, when, when my clients get to a point where they're going to be acquired, or they're going to, you know, they're going to breed everything in-house. I, there's like sending your kid off to college or to kindergarten for the first time, it's like, oh, there goes another one. And so, that process of, of letting go is another, you know, thing that I, that I had to learn over the years is I, it's been, it's is business, but I do take, you know, the relationships I create and create, you know, to very, you know, very, they're very important to me. So I, I guess in some ways, Raj, I have been adopted <laughs> a lot and I adopt back.
3: <laughs> and then um, uh,
0: do you, do you, fit yourself in particular kind of industries or particular kinds of companies, or do you like working across the spectrum?
2: Yeah, well, on the B2B side, it's a lot of data center infrastructure right now. Um, Think hydropower data centers and artificial intelligence data centers, cybersecurity, pretty much anything in the data center, uh, hardware, software, cloud, um, all that. Uh, A lot of that technology and innovation that was once in the data center or in aerospace is now in our car in our home. So that's where my entree into taking privacy and security or artificial intelligence, or robotics. So I work with robotics companies. I work with artificial intelligence, I work with transportation, two wheels, four wheels, things that fly. Um, and as a pilot, I really like to work with things that fly. I got my first one. And then on the consumer electronics side, the B two C side, everything over the years from you know gaming to smart devices and and uh, wellness and world wearables and tracking devices and uh, and things that for baby monitoring and health. The one thing that I don't like to do, and I as I like do a big way, I don't like to do pre order campaigns. You know I, I don't any of those. Those are just. Unfortunately, um, we did a lot in a period and we also we all were probably you know customers and investors in those things. but uh, I'm not a big fan of you know that particular segment. I like to help our clients really get real money that is going to help them, you know help them kind of go the distance. But things that excite me most right now are probably robotics, artificial intelligence and, and transportation, transformative, you know, I kind of put everything into an emerging tech bucket. Um, if it's not mass, uh, you know, if, if the Gartner Group has been covering it for the last five years, I'm probably not that interested. But if if uh, Parks and Associates and, and Frost and Sullivan are and are just beginning to cover and create a category, then I want to be part of that because I want to help, you know, these these innovations become categories.
0: Hmm. Oh, that's amazing, and then um because we we weren't really able to to skim through it but your favorite companies that you worked with over the last uh, for, since LMG.
2: Yeah. wow you know I, I worked i think that there's a couple uh, nightscope robotics uh, based in the valley is a company that's focused on crime fighting and and basically helping law enforcement reduce crime um robots you know they basically were the founders um, William Santana Lee and Stacy Jean Stevens created it based on the Sandy Hook shootings. We still have shootings in schools. These guys are on, uh, you know, committed to actually help solve a big social problem. And they, I, I started working with them when they were the duct tape robots demo, literally at Plug and Play Tech Center. Last year, we went through an IPO. Huge. So very proud of them. Uh, Damon uh, Motorcycles out of Canada, uh, the company I launched in 10 days, um, high performance electric, you know, motorcycle, um, helped them, you know, secure over a hundred million in, in pre-orders. Um, and that was not a GoFundMe type, but I mean, this is like a real you know like order. So very excited for what's happening in that space. And Monarch tractor, which is the taking my agricultural rules, is you know, electric tractor, and having the opportunity to work with Carlo Mondavi, who is a fifth generation farmer, but in the wine wine industry, that was you know really fun. I, I have so many, I mean, there's so many, in, you know, in, in in the portfolio, but those particular three, I I felt you know my my heart get a little tugged because. They're actually technologies that can save lives, technologies that actually can help make our life better. And working uh, on a couple of new things right now, UV, uh, artificial intelligence, UV sanitizing product that you can, we've all gotten a little lax after the pandemic and we just think we can go everywhere. Well, there's still a lot of nasty germs out there. And so being able to use your phone and as your as, as basically the device that helps you kind of sanitize and clean things. That's a really good application of artificial intelligence, right? Um, working with uh, the next generation of, you know, tracking, um, and where that's going, which think constellations in the sky, sky. um, working in things within aerospace uh, and the next frontier. I particularly want to go to space. So I'm really excited to work in that category, but those are some of the things I work on, but hit me up. I'm on LinkedIn, Donna Laughlin, and I love to hear, you know, entrepreneur and innovator stories. So um, if I, you know, can help somebody just, you know, think about bringing their idea to market. I'm that's what I do all day long. I just make up shit and (laughs) (laughs) no but i really it's really about listening to the the back end story we have to listen oftentimes we don't listen we respond and so listening and you know tuning into yourself i i'm not joking when i say i start my day with man you know manifestations and i am my and i have a visual board and i create visual boards for my clients too and so i i've i think one of the key things is for me is i lead with intention and 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 i like to make impact
0: this has been an absolute master class for you know like uh, as a as a founder and i know raj is is going through his own like seed round and, and you know early stage kind of growth and this was absolutely amazing to not only understand from a personal level like to keep Not only manifesting, but to keep putting yourself in those situations, but then also take a step back and really think about what you're doing, why you're doing it, and the impact it's going to make. So, uh, Donna, thank you so much for joining us uh, today. This was a lot of fun. Uh, Raj usually likes to end our episodes on a-
1: a I am not asking that question. I am not. Fuck fuck that noise. So, Guy Raz, how I built this.
2: You asked me my favorite song?
1: (laughs) No, percentage-wise where you are today on a scale, hard work versus luck. And I'm not gonna ask it. I'm
2: not asking that <laughs> shit. I'm not. I feel lucky as heck. Um, I work really hard, <laughs> hard for the luck. Um, yeah, you know, it was just really funny because I was joking. This said, Dina G, one of my favorite song. And I just, the song that's literally in my head is the Prince song, The Girl in My Hair. I literally wanna be that girl in your hair. Like, can my clients come work with me? Like, it's like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be in your hair and in, in a good way. That's not luck.
0: That's not luck. <laughs> uh, that was, I think 99% uh, hard work and like maybe 0.1% there. Can we, <laughs>
2: can we start a new show?
0: <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> we we'll uh, call it
2: Don't Be Safe and, you know, uh, Don't Be Safe with uh, Donna <laughs> and, 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 and Raj show. Or I like, like it. That. Yeah, well, yeah, definitely.
0: It's amazing. We can work on it. But uh, Donna, we also like to end each episode with flowers um, as somebody who's worked with you. And not only that, but like as somebody who was, uh, you know, a young entrepreneur building the accelerator program, didn't know jack shit about what we were doing. Uh, I was very fortunate that Ran, my co-founder at the time, uh, knew you and connected us. And, you know, as young founders who you had to go through and walk on eggshells around really, really smart and motive- and successful people, you were one of those amazing personalities who was able to tell us what we needed to do without overbearing or, or without like really scaring us. And, and as a, as a you know, PR professional, as somebody who um, every founder should think about really working with at some time. It was an amazing experience for us and our portfolio company. So, so thank you so much for back then. I know you work with tremendous amounts of founders since, and I know everybody loves you. Um, but thank you so much again uh, for everything you do, and and best of luck with everything in the future.
2: Well, thank you. No, that I totally. I mean, I can't believe it's been ten years, but um, I just remember that. Uh, The time that we we spent together and, you know, those conversations actually just ignite more creativity, too, on my end.
0: Amazing. Well, for all our listeners, thank you again so much for joining us. Um, A quick plug in for our Startup Studios concierge. So where Raj and myself as founders, as XVCs, um, we are able to connect with early stage founders on a different level. So whatever problems you're dealing with, chances are we've either dealt with them ourselves or we know awesome people like Donna who can solve them for you. So please feel free to use the concierge. It's a free 20-minute conversation. And our job is to basically build our network around amazing founders and and people and and solve their problems fast. So definitely check it out. Otherwise, we will see you again next week with a brand new episode. Thank you so much. Thanks, Donna.